Welcome to now episode 13 of the Kentucky Dad Podcast. Appreciate SB Nation as always for sponsoring us. Make sure you're checking out a, a Sea of Blue for all your stuff there. And um, you can follow all of our stuff at, at Kentucky Dad Pod on Twitter. But I'm excited about this one. But before we jump into it, uh, make sure if you haven't checked out the Cats by 90 podcast from last week, it was really good. Aaron did a good job kind of looking at some football stuff again, doing some previews, hoping hoping that we get that to come to fruition. So check that out. And then the last Dad Pod with, with Kaylin Harris was really good as well. But I'm excited today for a few reasons, but probably first and foremost is we have a, a first on the Kentucky Dad Pod, probably our first, I guess, Louisville-centric person to join as a guest. When I started this, it was never really supposed to be the University of Kentucky Dad Podcast, but that's kind of how it's gravitated towards. So I'm excited because it's somebody I don't know a lot about, um, but I always hear great things about and I love his work. So Mike Rutherford from Card Chronicle is joining us today. So Mike, what's up, man? Not too much, man. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited about this. Good, good. Yeah, I, I've been, I know everyone loves talking about their kids, and it's something different. So we want, we're not going to hit the, uh, the random ACC meeting today and all that stuff like I'm sure you've been getting your brain wrecked with. But <laughs> the first question I really have for you, Mike, so for all of our listeners, obviously, we're, we're a Sea of Blue, which is affiliated with SB Nation. But so to my understanding, you're basically kind of the same affiliation just with the University of Louisville. Is that accurate? Yeah, uh, Card Chronicle, we've been around, I mean, in internet years for a billion years. I mean, it, it was one of, I think, the third or fourth college site to be on SB Nation. Um, I think it was like 2006, which, God, I, I'm ancient. Uh, it's so weird to talk about stuff like that. But yeah, we are the, the, the Louisville equivalent of uh, a sea of blue for Kentucky. Very cool. And I, I guess I've always known that, but today, especially when I was like, I was kind of archiving some of your work and stuff. And I noticed, you know, the website layout's just so similar. So make sure you're checking that out. Cause I, again, I like a lot of your work cause I, you do a little bit different than us. I think you take more of a little bit of a, sometimes a comedic approach or just a little bit different, which I always appreciate, especially living in Louisville because there's always a lot of good correlation there. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I, I think we've, it's weird how much it's changed since uh, I guess we got started uh, and people always say that all the time. Like, well, the website's different than it was. I, it's changing. It's changing. Cause you know, we get older. When, when I started first started doing the website, I was, you know, 21 years old, uh, I guess. So I'm not really writing about, you know, going out to bars and getting hammered and being hung over for the next two days after Louisville wins anymore. It's a little bit different now. So I think with the, when you're a voice based website, everything's going to change gradually as you change yourself. So I, I've always liked the fact that we've been able to take the fan experience and put it on a website. And uh, it's been, it's been a, a real fun, God, 15 years or so here. Good stuff. And I'll say also it's probably evolved a little bit because you're not using one of the like Apple color desktops back. I guess that was <laughs> like prime 2006. So I think there's some inevitable evolution um, as you're, you know, in a 15, you know, going on a 15 year, you know, journey with the website. But I'll say this, man, I'll gas you up a little bit and I truthfully mean it like people, uh, you know, they have their riffs, especially within the media and especially across the rivalry. But I'll say this, and I know we have a mutual friend and Philip Baker, and it's always a good, good podcast when I can mention that guy because he's the best. But 
you really seem to go about stuff the right way, Mike, and because I just find, um, at least in my experience, you don't really have any enemies. Everyone seems to like Mike Rutherford. Oh, I appreciate that. I don't know if everybody would agree with that, but uh, it's nice to hear it. And yeah, Phil Baker, the absolute man. Uh, love that guy to death. He's he's just the best. But yeah, I mean, I, I think media beefs are kind of lame. Sometimes there's no way to get around it because, you know, animosity pops up regardless of, of what walk of life you're in. But uh, for the most part, it's just not worth it. And I think everybody else who watches it, it's fun for us, like when you're kind of quasi-media to watch two dudes you know go at it on Twitter or yell at each other at a radio station. But the reality is 95% of the other people following just do not care and uh, think you're kind of losers for doing it. So I try to stay out of it as much as possible. Yeah, it's definitely – I've tried my best too. It's always one of those like feels great in the moment and almost every time you look back and, and regret it at some point when that gets rolling. So, Just never worth it. Never worth it. Well, all right, man, we always start the same way, so I'm not sure how good that's going to come through. I know um, I tried to start the episode with – did you know what TV dad I just played to start the episode, Mike? That might be a good first question. I believe – was that Alan Thick? It was Alan yeah. Thicke, also known as Jason Seaver from Growing right. Pains, which you're just a couple years older than me, I guess. And so you're, you're prime, like, Growing Pains, I feel like. Uh, maybe, maybe we were a little young, actually, for it. But my mom, I believe it used to come on Disney Channel. Yeah, it's, it's hard to remember what channel all of those 90s shows came, or I guess late 80s shows came on. Because, um, you know, every now and then you get reminded, like, Gilligan's Island was on TBS when I was growing up. Uh, and, you know, Stay by the Bell was on TBS in the mornings when I was growing up. And you kind of lose track of what, cha- what show was on what uh, channel. I never was big into Growing Pains, though. I, it was just one of those shows that I never – I caught an episode here or there, but it was never, never my thing. Here's my thing about Growing Pains, and I say this. It's, one of, it's always been one of my favorites. I watched it a lot be, uh, for one reason. It's like it's a wholesome show. It's like a genuinely wholesome show that can still make you laugh, which I always enjoyed. You know, it was a good one to kind of sit down with the parents. But my caveat to that is, and my brother and I just self-discovered this like last week because we were going through like just how back in the day things could be said on like PG movies and you would just be like, whoa, that could never be said now. <laughs> and my point of this was, that the the so the main character Mike Seaver on the Growing Pains best friend's name was Boner on the show. Yep. yep. <laughs> so I always found that to be funny because it was such a wholesome show, but that was just like slid under the rug. I don't know how they got around that either because it's not like Boner was a common name in the '80s or the the early '90s that you know you look back and you're like, well, yeah, everybody was Boner back then. Or it was a common nickname. Everybody had a friend who was called Boner. It was just a very, very odd choice for that character. And you're right. Uh, some of you couldn't, I don't think you could have gotten away with that in like 1995 either. It was, it was, it quickly became outdated. Exactly. And his character, like you knew why they were using that too. It wasn't just kind of like whatever. I mean, he was the horn dog high school kid running around. So I always found that amusing. And uh, my last growing pains plug here, but also where one of my favorites, all-time favorites, got to start in uh, Leo DiCaprio. Very first, uh, I believe it was his first real on-air stuff, at least uh, mainstream, was The Growing Pains. Is that serious? You know, I'm, I know it was one of his first things. I don't know about very first, but I believe that's probably one of his, his big – I'm pretty sure that's like way pre-What's Eating Gilbert Grape and all that. Wow. I'll do some research. Like I, that's a total blind spot for me. And I feel like now that you say that, that's one of those facts that everybody out there knows um, that I'm just – not privy to like uh, I knew who was it um, 
who was the dude who was on oh god not scott bayo but uh wolf was on like scott wolf or somebody who was on the uh, save by the bell like made a, a cameo at the max like th- those little facts i remember but i had no idea dicaprio was ever even on growing pains yes all right i got it in 1991 dicaprio took a leap forward when he was cast as a semi-regular on the comedy growing pains he wow. made his film debut Oh, wow. And the low-budget horror flick, Critters 3. Didn't, I didn't know that one. <laughs> <laughs> this is great. I mean, I, we're 10 minutes into this, and I feel like I already know more than I, I came in with. Oh, dude, these, this, it's going to get far more off the rails than this, but I, I'll let you go <laughs> next. So um, I always have you come prepared. So what, what's a good TV dad or movie dad that resonates with you, Mike? My favorite TV dad of all time is uh, Sandy Cohen from The O.C., because – He's kind of what I prescribe to be in life. He's married to somebody more attractive than he is, who makes way more money than he does. And he just kind of, you know, he does good work for little pay and it works out for him because, he, you know, he married into a, 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 a pretty good situation. So that's kind of what I prescribe to be. It's sort of how I view myself. My wife is much, much better looking than I am. She has a much more important uh, and better paying job than I do. So I, I, I never really thought that I would be able to identify with Sandy Cohen, but the older I get, the more I do. And he was just a, a straight boss throughout that series. Man, that really, that was a left field one right there. I have not, out of all the times and people I've talked to, I have not heard that one. So I have z- zero um, information or knowledge of that show. So I'm, I'm Googling it a little <laughs> bit and that he's a very stoic man. So that, that was a, that was a really good, well thought out answer. And I also particularly like, like the more media members I talk to and, and the deeper I get involved in this, like the real common theme, whether it's husband or wife, but the spouse is typically kind of the breadwinner there. So if you're thinking about getting into media, well, listen to these and remember that. There's no question about that. <laughs> well, all right, man. Well, let's jump in a little bit. So um, another quick correlation, I guess, to the TV dad stuff was, so again, make sure you're checking out cardchronicle.com. You can follow Mike at Card Chronicle on Twitter. But something that I'll never forget, and I genuinely mean this, like I always laugh when I think about this every time I see the movie now, is the piece that you wrote. And, you know, it's almost been a year to the day, actually, because I looked it up today. I think you wrote it like August 29th of last year just ahead of, gosh, probably one of the biggest, you know, home openers for Louisville ever, which I guess leading up to the Notre Dame game, where you basically, um, you gave your take on the fact that, that Rudy's dad in the famous movie Rudy was actually just, I'll just say horrible person. You can look it up yourself. It's on the, the Twitter page. But, man, you're right. And now I look through that lens, and I'm going to start kind of um, going at this too with, like, maybe who are the worst TV and movie dads. And he's probably got a nod for, for one of them for sure. He's the older I get, the more because Rudy was a movie like I think every sports loving kid who's around our age watched multiple times growing up. And I kind of had it memorized by the time I got to high school. And then you get older and you look back and you're like, man, everybody in Rudy's life was just terrible and not in the like, hey, you're tiny. You're probably not going to play professional football. Maybe it's within your best interest to, to study harder or to look at another field of work. But in just saying terrible things to him for no reason. Uh, the quote that always stuck with me from that from that movie when Rudy's is getting ready to leave for South Bend taking a leap of faith his best friend the only person who's ever nice to him has died he's going to follow his dream he's going to play football at Notre Dame and his dad goes to the bus stop to meet with him to sit down with him have a heart to heart and you start thinking like maybe there's going to be some shred of decency in this man maybe for the first time he's going to be something resembling a loving father and instead he utters the quote chasing a stupid dream causes you and everyone around you nothing but heartache which is just the opposite of every 
like every message of every movie that we ever watched growing up, every teacher you had, every parent taught you the exact opposite of that. And that's his parting word, parting words of wisdom to his son who's going away on his own with no money, no plan. It's just when you go back and watch it, you're like, you don't deserve to celebrate in South Bend Stadium. You don't Notre Dame Stadium. You don't deserve to go to that game. The fact that Rudy even you know comes back to visit you is a testament to his character and not yours. He's an awful, awful person. I can tell that was, I know you did the article on him, so that was well thought out. And yeah, I will, I'll go even a step further. He's such a jerk that I feel like he's like, you know, going to be on his deathbed and like whispering Rudy's ear that he was off size or something. Like, <laughs> yeah. He's just awful. And, and, and one more thing I want to say about as far as like dads or teachers, whoever, you know, just like giving the whole, oh, your dreams aren't anything. You're never going to make anything of your life this may be a little off base here, but I say that out of every hundred people that say a teacher said that to them, maybe like two people actually had that said to them. I just can't imagine teachers are running around anywhere and just being like, you're never going to make anything of yourself. Like, I just, I don't know. I just like that's a phrase that's thrown out a lot. And, and if that many people are being told they're never going to be anything in school, that sucks. <laughs> yeah. I mean, how many teachers growing up did you have a heart to heart with about your, you know, your, life ambition what you were going to do most of us when we were like nine ten like people have these stories where it's like when i was 12 i'll never forget mr jacobson told me <laughs> that i need to go ahead like who did you talk with like that when you were 12 and, and how did you know what you wanted to do when you were 12 like uh, maybe i told somebody i wanted to be a pro basketball player when i was 11 and they were like eh, it's probably a long shot and like that's not a shooting down your dream type deal so i totally right. agree with you on that i know I, I, I don't know what that just popped in my mind over the last week or so i've been watching uh some show with my daughter and it keeps coming up and I'm just like, people aren't telling these. Oh, maybe it was like last chance you too. I think that keeps getting dropped in. But uh, anyway, moving forward, I have, I have an exciting new segment to introduce here. I'm trying to keep these more consistent, Mike, as you can tell, it's, it's very difficult to do because it's just random topics. But one question that I want to start asking every guest, because I feel like it just peels back the layers so well, and it's going to just give me great insight on who they are as a person. So the question that you're going to be the first one to answer is, in any given month, would you say that you drink more coffee, alcohol, or soda currently right now? Uh, coffee, and it's not close. Coffee, okay. and it is, it is not close whatsoever. <laughs> um, soda, I cut out completely a long time ago just because I drank way too much of it growing up, drank way too much of it in college, and uh, it just kind of made me feel bad. So it was, uh, And once you like cut soda out, it's like cutting out anything that's bad you kind of, once you lose the taste for it, you don't really get it back. Like soda, when I have it now, it's way too sugary. The only mm -hmm. time that I'll ever drink it is if I'm super hungover, which I'm not very hungover anymore because I've got a 11 month old daughter and uh, I'm trying to, to watch her and work at the same time. So definitely coffee. I can't, speaking of addiction and trying to cut stuff out, if I don't have coffee at some point during the day, like I feel sick for 24 hours. That's how bad it is. It is a drug. You are addicted to do it. And I can't stop at this point. So I've got to have at least a couple cups of coffee every day. So again, yeah, a lot of insight there. Cause, cause I guess you could call us polar opposites then because I don't know that I, I've never actually had a cup of coffee in my entire life. Really? Believe it or not. And a quick sidebar story on that is actually, um, I lived in, in Fort Myers, Florida for a long time. And I like moved down there with zero plan, like played basketball at squatting for a little bit, blue, like kind of messed that up. I am moving to Florida, get down there. I like literally read an article that was like best part-time jobs. And one of them was Starbucks. I'm assuming just because they offer benefits for part-timers. I've learned that this article wasn't that helpful now. <laughs> so I go, man, you know, crush the interview, get a job at Starbucks, opening a new store. 
And like within a week, I had to go to coffee college. Literally, they call it coffee college. And they're just like slamming shots of espresso on us. And I'm like, oh, I don't really drink coffee. And they're like, well, why are you here? So that job lasted, I think, maybe two weeks. And I was out. <laughs> Shout out to Fort Myers, Florida. My aunt and uncle lived down there. Oh, nice, nice. Very cool. Um, and then secondly, I drink a ton of soda. I talk about it a lot. Our last episode with uh, Kaylin Harris, who has some Eastern Kentucky ties, we talked a lot about ALA. And I'm really trying. I'm trying to get on like the exercise thing now that, you know, we're firmly in COVID and nothing's kind of changing from that aspect. Trying to do more exercising. But man, that, that's my big vice there. So I'm going to work on kicking it because you're, you're absolutely right. If I stop drinking it for like, I don't know, a month or something, if I tried to have one, it would like pucker my face to death. It wouldn't even taste good. I'm with you. Like I had, I probably drank like a Mountain Dew a day in college. Like I, and I had it with lunch. I know every single day in high school, cause we had a vending machine and that was my soda of choice. And then like, I don't know, it just, it started, I got to a certain age where my body was not able to process food or anything like it used to be able to, and just drinking it may kind of made me sick. So that, that also helped making it easier to cut out when your body starts rejecting stuff. It's a pretty solid indication that it's time to move on. Well, you're definitely uh, making me sad as you're like talking about like your one Mountain Dew was like this huge big vice because I'm like, <laughs> I'll slam a case of Dr. Pepper in like two days. I'm not in a so 2020 last thing on soda. You just can't even make up these headlines as far as like how much they're screwing me lately. And I'm not at a risk where I can't get Dr. Pepper. But the fact that a headline popped up on my phone Tuesday and said that there's a national Dr. Pepper shortage, like you just, you just can't even make this shit up anymore. I mean, it's just like the 2020 is just coming after me with vengeance. I saw that we got, you know, West Niles in Louisville now. I saw that too. It's just, uh, it's all happening. You know, I kind of said this when Corona started though, like at this point, just bring it on. Like, you know, knives raining from the sky, um, a weird smell of like baby crap that nobody knows where it's coming from. Like if you have something, if the world can unleash something on us, just do it right now. Let's get everything over with at the moment. It sure is. It, that sure is what it feels like. But all right, man, I'm not even sure how long we've been going, but let's go ahead and sneak a quick sponsor break in and then we'll get back. And I'm excited to learn, I guess, a little bit more about your family makeup. But first, we'll take a quick break here. All right. And we are back. Kentucky Dad Podcast, episode 13, Big Blue Drew and Mike Rutherford in the house. So Mike, just tell me a little bit so about your family. You just have the one daughter, right? I do. She is uh, 11 months old, and she will turn – her first birthday is going to actually be on Bizarro Derby, Kentucky Derby Day, September 5th this year. So that's going to be a cool fact that she'll get to carry with her for the rest of her life. That is a cool story, and I believe I know her name because that's how well you put out your content that it's, I guess, stuck with me for probably over a year now. But is it Virginia? It's Virginia. I uh, thought so. so. So it's kind of funny, like my mom is Virginia, my grandmother's Virginia, my great grandmother was Virginia, I think there are a few more before her and then my wife is actually Mary Virginia is her name and she kind of went by that uh, her whole life so we, uh, we knew that we wanted to name our daughter Virginia if, if it was going to be a girl we didn't find out until we had her, but when it came out when we had her. I sent the tweet out and was like, I made a, a promise a long time ago that I was going to name my firstborn child after whoever won the national championship in basketball <laughs> that year. And like the amount of people that took that seriously 
blew my mind. It shouldn't because everybody responds seriously to everything now. It's impossible to have a joke land 100% anymore because I, I don't know what's going on with people. But the amount of people who were like, man, thank God this dude didn't name, didn't, uh, you know, have to name his kid Texas Tech or Gonzaga. <laughs> I was like, Jesus, people. Like, like no, it's, it's an obvious joke, or at least I thought it was. You're kind of the master at that, though, too. Your, your joke is like the others not getting your joke and then the people that do get it laughing at the people that don't get it. I thrive on it. It's my favorite thing. When people don't get it, it's the absolute best joke. And I just, I refuse to like explain it to anybody either. I'm just going to keep going with it if you don't get it. Yeah, that's great. So let me, did I hear you correctly? So I heard the long line of Virginia's, um, you know, with their mother going on, but did you say your wife's name, middle name's Virginia? Yeah, she's, uh, wow. she's Mary, Mary Virginia. And she went by uh, Mary Virginia, both names growing up. So, uh, you know, it's kind of the older you get, the less that middle name gets brought up. So people just kind of call her Mary. But it's, uh, it's definitely a name that has, means a lot to both of us. I bet. That's probably wild whenever you guys were like on a first date or second date or whenever that came up, just having your, you know, Virginia ties and then that coming up. Cause it's not a very common name. No, it's not. It's, it is kind of funny the way it wound up working out, but it, it's the only reason why my mom kind of was like, eh, I don't know if I would name her Virginia is because, you know, she grew up with her mom being Virginia and she hated that people would call the house and say, you know, is Virginia there? And they would have to say either big Virginia or little Virginia. And my mom was like, I don't want to ever be big Virginia. She's like, I was fine being little Virginia, but big Virginia just doesn't sound good. And thankfully with her being, uh, you know, the grandmother and not the direct mother, I, th I don't think she's going to run into that issue. <laughs> I hadn't thought of, hadn't thought about that aspect of it yet. So, um, well, one thing else too, kind of similar to the coffee um, question as well. So obviously your, your card chronicle, you live in Louisville. So I got to know, I mean, are you, what are we talking here, Mike? You an Easton guy, Fern Creek guy, Hikes Point? What's up? We currently uh, live in St. Matthews. We, we okay. moved in here right before we got married in 2014. We moved in here right before we got married, and we've been here for, uh, for six years now. What about uh, high school? Where'd you go to high school? I went to Trinity High School. Go Rocks. Oh, okay. Very neat. Uh, and this is just like us at a bar, not on a podcast. This is going great. What, uh, <laughs> what year did you graduate in? Like all the way back in 2003. That's not too bad. I'm 05, man. I'm 05. So I know a lot of those. I know a lot of the basketball players and all them, Zach Barry and all them, they speed up on me pretty good. So absolutely. Zach and I, uh, we actually went to law school together the one uh, year that I spent in law school. He's a really, really good dude. He is. Yeah, I know. He still runs. Um, actually good. Nice Louisville time here. He runs up at Mid-America a lot um, in those like pickup-ish games or whatever, rec league games under his law firm's name. And I believe Luke Hancock runs with them sometimes or at least against them. That's what I've heard. And Zach could always play. I mean, I remember him being this tiny freshman my junior year who was like, I mean, maybe 115 pounds soaking wet. He was getting some, a little bit of run with the varsity basketball team. And I was like, there's no way this kid's good. There's, there, there's no way he's that good. And sure enough, he wound up being the starting point guard his sophomore year. And he was, he was very, very good. Yeah, he is. And you're right. He's, he's a really nice guy. But and then big shout out to uh, Rec League Luke Hancock, because you still want no part of that guy. Trust me, <laughs> I tell you. Defense and everything. He locks in. And I gave up. I gave up the rec league basketball. I'm a, I'm a softball guy now. I just I just can't do basketball. It's, it's just too too physically and mentally demanding. The best thing, not the best thing, but the funniest thing about getting older and you know playing softball, playing pickup basketball, even playing golf, is when you run into actual athletes. It's just as much apparent now in your 30s as it was back when you were like 18, 25. Like if you play, I got play golf a decent amount and I'm okay. I've got friends who are, who are pretty good, who are better than I am. But when you see like a Chris Redman play golf or I've played with Luke a few times when you see Luke Hancock, like it's just different. Like they just do everything differently.
Yeah, I could definitely see that. And then there's just those certain type of people. And I don't even know Luke and I would put him in this category, but there's just a certain person that's just pretty damn good at everything. Oh, no question. Well, all right. So 11 month, 11 month old. So that's probably been pretty challenging year for you considering, I guess, since she's been about six months old, the world's been upside down. So big question we always ask then, what have you guys been doing with COVID coping and stuff like that? I assume you probably have always worked from home. So like, What's changed for you? What strategy have you guys implemented? And are you ready to put your head through a wall yet? Man, it's not a stretch to say that everything's changed, like since COVID started. Like when you go back and think about January, February, March, I mean, that's my busiest time of the year work-wise. And I had, you know, the Car Chronicle job. I had a radio job. I was hosting a daily radio show at the time. I was doing podcast stuff. Um, I also wrote about college basketball nationally for SB Nation, RIP. We still love SB Nation forever. The, uh, the home website, which has now been, uh, you know, gutted a little bit since COVID happened. So I went from in January, February, and March feeling like I was not helping enough at all. You know, my wife went back to work in December, but the holidays were happening. So she had enough you know, time off holidays here and there that it didn't really feel like she really went back to work. But then when, you know, the, the new year rolled around, like I'm, I'm helping out as much as I can, but I'm getting up, I'm doing you know, all this stuff from nine to five. And then I'm watching the, the basketball games. I'm not getting to bed till 3am. And it feels like I'm just, you know, just hopeless and, and not doing nearly enough. And then, NCAA tournament gets canceled, conference tournaments get canceled. Uh, I suddenly have nothing to write about. Job prospects are in jeopardy. Our childcare situation is gone. And so in the, the blink of an eye, I go from not being able to help out at all to helping out constantly. Like I, I am the person watching her from when I wake up in the morning until my wife gets off work at five and I'm helping, you know, do dinner. I'm helping do bath. I'm helping do putting her to bed. And that's kind of the way it's been since then. I mean, I, I'm, we've had a little bit more help in the last couple of months during the week, but for on most days, it's me and her um, from when she wakes up until whenever my wife gets off work with a, you know, she comes down a little bit when she works from home and helps out with lunch, but it has been a total, total shift. And to answer your question, yeah, uh, most weeks I end it with wanting to put my head through a wall. I love her. She's, she's, she's very easy. She's not a tough baby at all, but still, I mean, anybody who's had to spend 10 straight hours with a baby of any sort of age knows it's, it's, it's struggling to go back to our earlier theme about the, the nineties TV shows or the eighties TV shows. I never really grasped like those soapy shows, how the mom could be the stereotypical stay-at-home mom would be drinking wine at like 11 a.m. on a Tuesday, and I've gotten it. I've understood it these last mm -hmm. few months. Yes, good point. And I've probably mentioned this on the podcast now 15 different times, but pre-COVID, $850 for daycare? Are you freaking kidding me? A month? And then post-COVID, steal of a freaking lifetime, dude. Pay someone 40-ish bucks to watch this monster. I have a 17-month-old. <laughs> I'm like, boy, I can never give someone $40 to watch this kid for nine hours or whatever, so... That's really been an eye-opening experience for me. I will happily write that daycare check every week. You know, once it was taken from us, it's, it really is challenging. And then too, Mike, I think people discount the fact that, and then don't get me wrong, because I get it. People don't want to hear about media members complaining what's free and, and all that stuff, because you have an awesome kick-ass job and stuff. But at the same time, like there, there's weeks when I maybe I'll, I'll like fill in. Um, sometimes I do radio with like TJ Walker. So I might fill in for a few days or ESPN 680. And I'm like, babe, like, I'm not just making this up. I got to watch Monday Night Football. Like, I have to. I can't go on the radio Tuesday morning, you know, having not watched Monday Night Football. So I think it, it does um, create, like, an inherent kind of, like, work aspect to surrounding your life around sports because people like, 
like your fans and you know your followers they expect you you know to know those things and keeping up with it is a challenge I think that's what you just said there is the most difficult thing for me to convey to my wife. And I've had this conversation with other media members. Like when I'm sitting here on my computer scrolling through Twitter, like that's not me doing nothing. Like that's not the equivalent of you going through Instagram and liking pictures. Like (laughs) this is, this is crucial to my job. And that's been the biggest difference for me these last four or five months when I'm with her and she's demanding constant attention. My, my child I'm talking about, like, I'm not, I'm not quote unquote online. Like I, I'm not, if a news story breaks, I'm not there to, to read about it, to react to it, to send a tweet out. And it's just been so, so different. And that's so much a part of being a quote unquote uh, multimedia personality anymore. So I, I'm with you. And yeah, we, when you're just sitting there like watching um, a college basketball game, like for me, that was, that was a job. It doesn't seem like it at the time. And it's hard to, to, to really you know, send that message because I don't know how everybody else's significant others and media are, but my wife is not. Like, like she's not online all the time. She doesn't live in the same world that we live in. She doesn't really understand that people expect this of me and that it's, it's part of the gig. So it's definitely been a little bit tough, especially when, you know, she's feeding the child or she's holding the crying baby. And it looks like I'm sitting there doing nothing. It's just, it's, it's kind of a hard, you can't really put her in your spot. You wish you could trade places for a couple of days. Yeah, I get it. Uh, hopefully she doesn't listen though, Mike, cause she's not going to appreciate that equivalency to liking Instagram pictures analysis. She's not going to listen. She, <laughs> okay. she, she's not going to go ahead and tell you. Like, if this were me talking about her for 30 minutes, just me doing it by myself, she still wouldn't listen. So she's definitely not going to listen to this. <laughs> All right. Well, good, good. Enough. But I mean, you're, you're totally right, though, because there's also the aspect of like, when you like your job, it does appear that you're just over there, you know, kind of having fun and, and doing different things. But and I know if I went on my own personal journey through that. I probably like two and a half years or so into doing this. And for a long time, you know, people would ask me, like, oh, Drew, like, you want this to be your full-time thing? Do you want to do this full-time? And there was a, a time when maybe I thought that I did, but now, you know, I have a regular nine-to-five. I manage a bank, and just the ability to leave, you know, I'll leave at 530 or whatever, the day's over, um, that's huge. And I think people really do kind of discount the fact that guys like you, man, you're kind of always working. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that that's – I understand why so many people who are kind of in the spot I am – right now, or at least where I was a few months ago, transition later in life to a more, you know, whether it's a, a PR move or now doing social media stuff, a, a more standard nine to five, because it's hard to, to predict, especially with me doing college basketball stuff. It fluctuates so much. I kind of feel like a teacher in that during the off season, I have a lot more free time than I deserve. And then when college basketball season rolls around, you basically have, have no free time, especially during that period where Louisville football and college basketball are going on at the exact same time. So it's tough to kind of, convey that thankfully I didn't have to do a whole lot of traveling I didn't do a whole lot of uh, coverage in person I was able to kind of sit back and just cover things from afar but still like you've got to be there when undefeated Gonzaga loses to BYU at 2 a.m. like I had to get up and write that like and that's uh, again it's a difficult thing to really for for somebody who doesn't follow all this stuff to understand and it does and, it, and it, there's always that risk and fear that it's clear you love college basketball you love college football you love the University of Louisville and you run that risk, and I guess you've done a pretty good job of it because you've been doing it all this time, but you always run the risk, too, of turning your favorite, most passionate thing into something that you, that you run away from and that gives you anxiety because it becomes work. Oh, there's no question about it. I mean, it's like anything else. I mean, I think with anything, and people who are listening to this who have been able to take a you know, hobby or, or something that they just enjoy doing and turn it into a career, uh, I think can relate to this. When it becomes work, it's just different. Like when you have to do it, you view it differently. Like when I was 
you know, working at a law firm or going to law school, I, got, I always wanted to do the blog stuff, the Card Chronicle stuff, because it was not the reading that I had to do or the, you know, the, the brief that I had to file. And now when you have to sit down there and write 1,200 yeah. words about the Big South Tournament, it becomes <laughs> a little bit less appealing. You know, you, know, you want to watch what's on TV or you want to play a game on your computer or something like that. But uh, still, I, you said it best at the very beginning. You definitely can't complain about it. Yeah, and then I'm with you, man. Writer's block is such a real thing. I feel blessed with all the corporate emails and things that I've sent over my entire work career that I feel pretty blessed to be able to sit down and, you know, kind of a, just kind of a splice some stuff together and get it done. But man, when it's, when it's hard to put that first sentence on paper, it, it, it really can become challenging. And you're right, it's kind of always whatever work you want to be doing the other thing. But I like giving um, people the opportunity, Mike, to talk about father figures in their life and just kind of what shaped them, kind of who made them the father they are today. And I feel like maybe I've even seen some posts from yours in recent past um, about your own father. So love to just give you the floor on that. And anybody, um, whether it was your own father or other people that kind of shaped your, the guy you are now. Yeah, I have a great dad. I mean, he's, uh, he actually just turned 74 last month so he's getting up there he loves to talk about it he's been acting like he's been old and dying though since i was like 10 years old so this is nothing new and it's funny i was about to just say uh, one thing that he told me just to close the book on our last point my dad actually was a writer wrote for a long time wrote for the courier journal wrote for the uh, the lexington herald leader wrote for the the record the catholic newspaper here in louisville and he used to always say that writers love talking about writing they hate actually writing, which is so true. Like everybody has advice that they want to pass along or what their process is. Nobody actually likes to sit down and do it. Um, and I'm sure there are exceptions out there, but I definitely related to that. But my dad, um, fantastic father. Uh, he was the one I think who definitely got me into sports at a young age. He played college basketball and college baseball at uh, Kentucky Southern, which is no longer a school that's around anymore. Um, he played at Mail back in the day, he always tells the story about they lost, they were the number one team in the state, both his junior and senior year, fantastic teams. And they lost to Seneca high school, which had Wes Hunseld, your alma mater there, uh, both in the seventh region championship game, both his junior and senior year, his senior year, it was on a last second buzzer beater that everybody says came after the buzzer. Uh, every time I put a tweet out there, a bunch of people who were at that game or who played in that game re relate the same story to me. So he was uh, big into sports, especially basketball growing up. He actually wrote a book about Kentucky basketball. He followed, I think it was the 1982-83 Kentucky team around when Joby Hall was the head coach and wrote a story uh, a book called tracking the cats. Um, so he's, uh, you know, he had a little bit of, I guess, experience writing about college basketball himself. So he definitely taught me a lot about writing, taught me a lot about sports. Um, was just a, a fantastic father overall. Interesting. Yeah. It does. It sound like you guys followed a similar path. So I was going to ask you a little bit about the rivalry too, then. So knowing that he wrote a book called tracking the cats and you've written a book about, I don't want to butcher the title, but you've written a book about the university of Louisville fans think like a hundred things that they should do and see before they die. So I'm assuming that the rivalry wasn't like extremely heated and like a real big thing in your household growing up. Uh, it was a huge thing in my household. Um, <laughs> my dad, without sharing stories here, I know your listenership is mostly UK fans writing, being that close to the UK basketball program and experiencing some of the things that he experienced put a, a very bad taste in my dad's mouth about Kentucky basketball. <laughs> um, and so I, I think he, I grew up not liking Kentucky at all. And it was more based on like when you grow up in Louisville, 
like half of the boys in your class are diehard Louisville fans. Half of the boys are uh, diehard Kentucky fans. And it's kind of the same way with the girls too. You have those little rivalries and you just like, that's what kind of fuels that fire, that rivalry fire. You don't want to get made fun of at recess. If Louisville loses Mm -hmm. to St. Louis or something like that. And you want to make fun of Kentucky if they lose to Arkansas, like that's kind of where the whole thing comes from. But my dad was a little bit different. I think he, dislikes Kentucky more than I do, uh, which is, which is saying something. He definitely has a very strong fire in his belly and I actually brought him on the radio show back in, I think it was his birthday last year and brought him on to coast. And he said some very disparaging things about UK, like five minutes in. And I was like, I don't know if this was the right idea, but he, uh, he definitely sticks to his guns. That's interesting. And it's just such a crazy dynamic. I mean, everybody here is so just so different and you know how they celebrate it, how they do it. Some people, I mean, it really genuinely like makes them upset, which I never understood. But I was raised a little bit different and I've tried to convey this. And I'm sure at some point, you know, something will pop up with me in a Louisville shirt or jersey or something in my life and I'll get ripped for it. And but I've always been honest, my dad, like to this day, he'll wear a Kentucky hoodie and a Louisville hat like he doesn't care. He's always supported both teams. And I've always took the stance of and I know a lot of people don't track with me on this, but I understand people outside of Jefferson County hating University of Louisville. It's the rival. Don't like the University of Louisville. I get it. And people living inside Louisville, not like in UK. I've just never understood or kind of clicked with the person that's from the 502, lives in Jefferson County, and just hopes that university burns down. I'm like, it's, it's too much a part of the community. And especially going back to when I lived in Florida and all the, you know, it was, it was peak bad time for, for U of L. It was like everyone that found out I was from Louisville, that was the first thing they said to me. And it's not like I can be like, oh, I'm a Kentucky fan. You know, that stuff's cool. So I just like it mirrors <laughs> our community so much that I just never understood. I guess if you want to cheer them to lose a basketball game, that's one thing. But I never could get behind just like the total hope the school burns down and Katina Powell ruins everything. It just never made sense to me. Yeah, it's a weird thing to try to explain to outsiders, to people who you know don't really have any sense of the – the culture of the state of Kentucky, the fact that Louisville is so different from every part of the the rest of the state, besides, I guess, Lexington, which is sort of ironic, but I don't know. Uh, I mean, I, I think there's just, there are a lot of factors at play when it comes to the rivalry. And if you haven't really been here, if you haven't lived here, it's hard to explain that to people. I, I think you've got two factions of the rivalry, which are very, very different. You've got the faction that is Louisville fans in Louisville versus Kentucky fans in Louisville. And then you've got Louisville fans in Louisville versus Kentucky fans out in the state. And it's, it's real different. I mean, everybody in Louisville, has family members or friends or acquaintances that grew up rooting for the other side. I mean, I've got family members that are Kentucky fans. I've got close friends that are Kentucky fans. And then you've got the, the people that now in the last 10 to 15 years, you've been able to have more contact with via social media or via websites. Um, and I think that part of the rivalry has a little bit more contentiousness. I think it's a, there's a little bit more animosity just because, I don't, I don't think they understand one another. <laughs> I don't think that the, the two groups of people uh, have much of an understanding. But again, it's a, we, we could do a whole podcast just on that dynamic. Yeah, and, and to keep it real, man, I think a lot of it goes back to like guys like you and, and you, know, you know, Matt from Kentucky. I think some of these people that the fan base really looks up to and they kind of take their, um, you know, their attitude one way or the other from you guys. So you guys play a big role in that. And I've always noticed that with you too. Like your rivalry – but it'll never, you know, be to where it gets nasty. And, like, I'm not easily offended either. Like, none of it ever offends me. Like, oh, man, I can't believe they said that. But I guess I just, I don't know. Some of it just gets a little bit too too far, I guess. It's as far as, like I said, people genuinely, like, <laughs> getting upset and not and disliking people. Like, I even knew people that I grew up with that, like, genuinely 
pretty much wouldn't be friends with people based off their affiliation. And I've always said the same thing and I'll, I'll die on this hill and that we could just in some form kind of band together and just hate on the Hoosiers because they're the epitome of like irrelevancy thinking that they're like, where do they get off thinking they're a blue blood in college basketball? I'm going to go off now, but I hate Indiana. That's my, that's my passionate dig. It's, I mean, going back to my dad, when I was little, when I was real little, I think he disliked Indiana more than Kentucky because he hated Bobby Knight so much. So he was a, he was a media member. He'd done stuff with Bobby Knight and Bobby Knight was always just a complete uh, ass to him. Like he was with everybody else. And so when Knight was, at Indiana, I felt like dad's disdain for them was greater than his disdain for UK because UK was going through its own stuff with the, um, you know, the, the Eddie Sutton stuff and the way that the, the air ended. And they weren't really that much of a threat when I was kind of really getting into basketball in the early 90s because they weren't, you know, they were postseason ineligible. Then Patino comes in and resurrects the program. And that's when I really started getting to, to dislike Kentucky. But when I was little, it was always Indiana that I viewed as kind of the, quote, the, the quintessential bad guys because my dad disliked them so much. So I'm with you. I, I think we can all get together and take some pot shots at a program that hasn't been relevant for what? I mean, since Mike Davis took him to the championship game in 02. Exactly. And it's, it's just like they, they just thrive on. Like, like every time I hear Kentucky's scared to go play them, I'm just like, what, what planet are you guys living on? But anyway, that, that's what I could do my whole podcast on is because I just, man, I, the Hoosiers, I loathe them big time. Has any fan base gotten more traction out of a seemingly meaningless regular season win than Indiana? The only, the only program that I think compares with them is Texas Tech football, which you beat Texas one time on Michael Crabtree's touchdown, like in 07. You haven't done anything since then. Like, and they still talk about it. I, I jokingly, Louisville played Texas Tech in the Super Regional in baseball, I think it was three or four years ago, in Lubbock. And I jokingly said to, um, to Sean Moth, the PA guy, we had him on the radio show, I was like, how long were you in Lubbock before somebody brought up the Michael Crabtree Texas game? And he was like, I'm not even joking. The first restaurant we went to, we started talking to fans that had Texas Tech stuff on, and it came up within the first five minutes of that conversation. Like, they won't move on. Indiana fans won't move past the watch shot. And uh, it's both, both situations are pretty sad. It's increasingly hilarious with the Indiana, you know, clinging on that win, considering they got drug in the tournament the same year by Kentucky. The like, same you team. <laughs> you would have thought that would have been kind of the thing that, that phased it out, but it sure hasn't. And, and that's kind of, again, what goes forms my opinion, I guess, on the Kentucky-Louisville rivalry is it would bother me to no end if it was the same way and Louisville wasn't any good. Like, I like the fact that they're good and, that you know, that – they always can put a good team on the floor and that it makes the rivalry competitive. And because if it was with, you know, a school like Indiana, I think that it would, that would, that would be what would push me over the edge because at least there's some merit in there in the rivalry and we're having a little peaks and valleys now, but you know, they're, they're both solid basketball schools. Well, you're being overly kind now because I'll be the first to admit, and that's the thing about the rivalry. You have to just admit stuff. I mean, Louisville has had good teams over the last 10 to 15 years. They have not been good against Kentucky. So there's really – and that's, it's kind of sad just for the rivalry's sake. I wish that Louisville had won more games for obvious reasons, but I also wish they'd won more games because I think it would have just ramped up this Calipari Patino era that I think we're all going to look back on as, as one of the most memorable in the history of this rivalry. And I think everything changed without getting too deeply into this. I think everything changed with that 2014 game. If Louisville wins and then goes on to, you know, play in the final four that year or win a national title, then I think you could say as a Louisville fan, 
yeah, you've won more games, but we've had two that have really mattered. You beat us in the Final Four. We came right back, won the national title the next year, and then beat you in the tournament the year after that and went to a Final Four, whatever Louisville would have done that year. But because Kentucky pulled what was, a, I think, a slight upset based on the point spread, that was when the tide really shifted and uh, has not really shifted back since then. Yeah, I guess there's no doubt about it. I mean, Cal's definitely owned the card since he came. And I'm still waiting for – I've said this just kind of – just knowing the little that I do about Chris Mack, there will be one thing in this that's going to set it off. I thought it might have been the Facebook snafu a few months ago or a few weeks ago, whether it's something like that or just a snide comment. I think it's going to be after, you know, if Chris Mack beats him the first time. I think there's just going to be a comment or something because I can just see those guys button heads. I don't know about you, but I just think their personalities are going to clash and everyone's going to enjoy it. But it just makes – it just they, y'all just need to win, bro. Just win one game, and then I think it's really going to set it off because he kind of can't say anything yet. Yeah, he really embraced the rivalry when he was at Xavier with Cincinnati. He, he and Mick Cronin would get into it yeah. pretty – I mean, there was some very serious stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, the last year, Mick Cronin tried to fight J.P. McCura, yeah. and then Cronin uh, – Mack went after him in the postgame press conference. And then there was a literal fight back in, yes. in 2011. I, I think everybody kind of missed this. I was surprised it didn't get more traction. Mack tweeted out a few days after the whole um, – I guess it was, was it Aaron Calipari had, had you know, sent him the, the message about his wife's Facebook yeah. post and all that stuff. Mac put out a tweet that said something along the lines of, and I'm paraphrasing here, like that scraggy beard look isn't for me, but you do you or something like that, which I felt like was a shot at Calipari, yeah. but, but wasn't specific enough that you could have pinpointed it. And like, it, it got very little attention. Nobody retweeted it. I think like two people responded to it. And I think that was kind of his way of dipping a toe in the water and just seeing how people were going to take it. But I would not be shocked at all if this is the year where the whole like Kentucky fans think Chris Mack is a good guy and there's sort of a friendly rivalry between the two. I would not be shocked at all if this is the year, assuming we play basketball where it all blows up. Yeah. He, you can tell Chris Mack doesn't take any stuff, man. I think he's firm in his delivery and everything and completely off subject, but I'm kind of trying to go zero dark 30 on Twitter a little bit, just get my screen time down. But I'm actually, um, we were returning a rental car. We were on a trip this weekend and I actually saw Chris Mack at SDF, like maybe a few hours after the Bryce Hopkins news broke, like just getting off. I don't know what he was doing. He was getting in an Uber or something. And he definitely did not look happy. And at the time I kind of didn't even put the two together and I was reading up. So I don't know if that's why he was upset, but that's just going to be another little, uh, notch in the belt there, I guess, to, to fuel this further because a lot of people are having fun with that. Rivalry never stops, man. Yeah, it's good stuff, good stuff. All right, man, we always ended on dad jokes. I have embarrassed myself multiple podcasts in a row. Um, last one especially, I wasn't even prepared. I got flustered. I couldn't deliver one. So hopefully this one's a little better. I'll start. Um, let's see, my dad joke for episode 13. So I used to date a girl who only had one leg and she got a pretty good job at a brewery. They put her in charge of the hops. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, man. Um, before I tell my joke, though, I, I've got a quick story that will kind of set it up. Um, my daughter, like so many kids, has a bunch of, like, little plastic toys. Um, and my mom brought her over she, a bunch of plastic horses, which is perfect for the derby and all that stuff. And she actually, like, swallowed three I think it was three of the plastic horses so we had to like rush her to the hospital I know it doesn't doesn't sound funny but thankfully we got there and the doctor looked at her and uh, he said her condition was stable <laughs> oh yeah, was like, man you had me on the edge of my seat there I was ready to go with that one dude that was full commit well done well done you gotta commit to the joke you gotta commit to it you sure do man I was worried I'm like geez Louise this is, how's this funny at all 
Well done, man. I like the effort there. You, you brought it big time, Mike. Thanks so much, man. I really did have a good time uh, talking to you. And I always have, have known that you were a good dude. Like I said, just based off the feedback that I get, you're always thought of somebody that, that does things the right way and, and your stuff's hilarious, man. You do a good job. So thanks for being a, a dad, pod guy, dad pod guy. And you will have to be our kind of liaison to the L1C4 side of things. For sure, man. I appreciate you having me on. This is a really cool idea for a pod.